The Mystical Underground and Rob McGregor present an audio production of Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Temple of the Cosmos. Moonlight beamed down on the shrouded plaza where the three pyramids peeked through the jungle canopy. Indy was out of breath, exhausted. He felt like collapsing, but he immediately looked about for Maggie. He shouted her name. No answer. He caught up to Flora. Ask your friends where my lady friend is. We had to leave her here. The chief said she would be freed when we brought you back. I brought you back, she answered. Yeah, well, we're here. Where's Maggie? Two warriors took Indy by the arm and walked him up to the throne where the old chief was seated, still decked in a feathered gown and holding his shield. And he couldn't help wondering if he'd sat here the entire time they were gone or if he'd returned from a hammock in the nearby village to retake his place on the throne. Indy pointed at Flora. The great mother is free. Where is my friend Maggie? The chief stared at Indy, but remained silent. Flora stepped forward, yammered at the old chief, and sounded as if she was badgering him. The chief remained impassive, replying with a few words. Flora turned to Indy. You heard him. He says she's inside the pyramid waiting for you. Inside already? Indy bowed to the chief, thanked him, and stared started around the throne toward the pyramid. The warriors immediately shouted, grabbed his arms, and pulled him away from the throne. They led him along one side of the pyramid to a low opening, but it wasn't the one that Kingston had used to enter the grand edifice. He crawled through the opening and into a room illuminated by flickering torchlight. He was immediately confronted by a warrior, one arm, and he remembered that he spoke Spanish. Don't you stop me, amiga? Maggie. I'm right here, Indy. He looked past one arm and saw Maggie sitting on the floor, her back to the wall. Are you all right? I'm better than I was earlier. I was nearly torn apart by a panther. Balaam here saved me. He drove it away with his spear. I thought that was damn brave of him since he lost an arm to a panther when he was a kid. Indy nodded to the warrior then started to tell him that he'd brought back the Great Mother. Don't bother, Maggie interrupted as she stood up. They somehow knew more than an hour ago that you'd gotten her free and were on your way. Huh, the jungle telegraph, I guess. Did you still have the Jade Sphere, she asked. Of course, and it's time to find out how it works. Maybe one arm, I mean Balam, will guide us. Don't count on it, Maggie replied. He told me none of them go beyond this room. Too many deadly traps. The warrior quickly moved toward the entrance 
as someone crawled through the opening. Indy, you're not leaving me behind, are you? Archie called out. Archie, the city boy, sounded distinctly uneasy, and he had throughout most of the trip through the jungle. Wouldn't think of it. We need your talent to protect us from booby traps. I'll do my best. Balam had abandoned the room, leaving them to their own devices. That could be good or bad, and he thought and stepped under an archway into the next room, a round room about 15 feet across, with a pair of burning torches on either side of the entrance. I did learn some things about the pyramid while I was waiting, Maggie said. This is the Chamber of the Sun. They call the next room the Chamber of the Moon. That one is worse. Worse? You really didn't like the sound of that. Good to know. See anything, Archie? I think that finding and returning the Great Mother was only the first challenge that the ghost people set up for us. You see, they lit the torches for us, but don't pick up either of them. Why not? Maggie asked. We need light. We'll take those two unlit torches and light them. If we pick up either of these, we're in for a surprise. The holders are levers. Indy followed Archie's gaze toward two large blocks of stone, one above each torch. I see your point. Oh, that could have hurt. I'll get the other torches, Maggie said and started forward. Wait, Archie grabbed her arm. Don't be so anxious to walk into trouble. What's the problem? I'm not sure, but... Indy walked across the chamber, and as he did, pieces of the floor dropped away, leaving a deep gash between him and the other two. Indy, you're no better than Maggie, Archie shouted. I should go back and let you to find your way. Uh, don't go, Archie. I'll, I'll make it up later. Here, catch. He reached for one of the torches and tossed it across the gap. Maggie snagged it. She carefully lit the torch from one that was burning. That's good, Indy said. Maybe if we can shed some light on the matter, we can figure out how you two can get across. He grabbed the other torch, but when he tossed it, his foot slipped and the torch fell short. Astonishingly, instead of dropping into the hole, it landed at floor level, hanging in midair. At the same time, water spilled from the end of a pipe near Indy's foot, apparently triggered when he lifted the torch. The water spread out, flowing out over the hole rather than falling into it. It's an optical illusion, Indy shouted. I know. Maggie walked out into space, or whatever appeared to be a bottomless abyss, covered by a thin layer of water. She snatched the torch and walked back to Archie, where she lit it. Then both of them quickly joined Indy on the other side of the chamber. Onward, Indy said, taking one more look back. He didn't know how the ancient Mayans or the ghost people had created the effect, and he didn't care right now. He was ready to move ahead, hoping that the traps didn't get any more complicated. Maggie peered into the chamber of the moon. It looked identical to the chamber of the sun, a round room about the same size. She tried to think what hints Balaam might have left her. She didn't think he was trying to trick them, but he wasn't exactly forthcoming with information either. He'd simply said the chamber of the moon was unsafe to enter. So what were they doing here? Were they crazy? Despite the warnings and her own misgivings, she followed Indy and Archie into the room. What else could she do? Go back? 
was a simple answer, but suddenly it was too late. They'd no sooner moved through the doorway when the stone barrier dropped down behind them. No going back now, she murmured. Or weight must have triggered the door, she said. I think we should spread out and work our way around the walls. Indy moved to the right while Archie went left. Both held torches. Maggie held her ground, not sure which way to proceed. When they were halfway around, the torches illuminated another doorway. A stone barrier was slowly lowering. It's closing, she shouted, and charged across the room toward the opening. Big mistake. Instantly, the walls shuddered. Dust spilled down from the ceiling, kicking her clothes and face. Cracks rippled across the floor. Pieces of the ceiling were falling. The walls shuddered. The entire room was crumbling in on them, and this time the gaps in the cracks on the floor were real. Maggie dodged her way across and bumped into Andy near the diminishing doorway. Ladies first. Uh, kind of you, but you got here first. Hell, I'll go, Archie said and scrambled through. Maggie started to follow him when a piece of the ceiling crashed down, striking Indy on the head and shoulders. He dropped to the floor onto his side and the Jane Sphere rolled out of his path. Maggie scrambled after it, scooped it up, then grabbed Indy by the arm. Crawl, hurry, it's closing down. He rolled over onto his hands and knees, but started in the wrong direction. She, as she turned him around, Indy seemed to snap out of his lethargy. He tugged on her arm, pulling her toward the entrance. Go, go, he said. This time she didn't hesitate. She dove under the descending stone wall and Indy rolled through the doorway after her. That was close, Archie gasped. Indy shrugged. Not that close. He grinned, then patted his pack, and the blood drained from his face. The sphere, where is it? He lunged toward the doorway, just as the stone wall slammed down. Hey, I got it. Maggie handed it to him. Oof, that was close, Andy admitted. How's your head? Maggie asked. Then he took off his hat, touched a lump under his must hair. It uh, could use a little attention right here. Maggie took a closer look. You know, you've got a really hard hit. Uh, you two, in case you haven't noticed, uh, we're in a new chamber, Archie said. Maggie caught herself, looked around. This room wasn't round, square, or rectangular. The walls and ceiling had multiple sides and flowed together, so it was difficult to separate one from the other. The stone surfaces were smooth and slick. What is this place? Cindy asked. The Chamber of Venus, Maggie said in a hushed voice. It was built in honor of the underworld, and its traps were designed by ancient wizards. Balaam said that the spirits of the chamber would steal your mind here, if you're not careful. Steal my mind, Archie said. I'm not sure there's enough left of it to steal. I don't know what that means either, Indies said, but I, I think we're going to find out. Now, when you and Professor, the Professor came here, did you encounter these difficulties, Archie asked? We took a different route. We made our own entrance. Uh, we didn't find any of these rooms. You lucky then, but you not so lucky now. Yeah, you not so lucky either, Indy responded, mimicking Archie's accent. A long time ago, he concluded that Archie put on a Chinese accent because sometimes he spoke perfect, unaccented English. He was born in San Francisco and lived his entire life there. When he'd asked Archie about it, he told him that he did it out of respect for his father, who always spoke with an accent. He never wanted to sound as if he were better than his father. 
He'd added, Besides, Indy, my accent is what people, especially you Anglo-Americans, expect to hear from me. You think we are all Charlie Chans. Archie moved tentatively toward the center of the chamber, which was larger than the other two. It's an unusual chamber, but I see no traps. It's very clean. There was something different about the room besides its shape, Maggie thought. It took her a moment to figure it out. Uh, gentlemen, there's something missing here. There are no doorways. This looks like a dead end. That's the trap. Or one of them. Her voice faded with the final words. Her throat tightened. She blinked and struggled to understand what she was seeing. The walls of the room seemed to disappear and curtains of flames roared around her on every side. She turned in circles, confused, looking for a way out. She was alone now, trapped in the center of a ring of fire. The heat intensified, fed by air moving along the floor. The flames darted out, licking her, tasting her, preparing to consume her, terrified that her clothes might catch fire at any moment. She hugged her arms to her body. Then a voice called out to her, her mother, Maggie, get out of the fire. Mama, where are you? The flames crackled and crackled, gleefully dancing around her. A spark, then another attached, attacked her hair and she slapped her head. Maggie, run! Get away! I can't! Fire, fire everywhere! She folded over, collapsing to the floor. Maggie, what the hell? Indy rushed to her side, but she didn't respond. Her face was flushed, cheeks hot to the touch. Her eyes were wide open, but she didn't see, at least not anything in the chamber. Her mouth hung slightly open, as if she were sleeping, but her body was stiff. She's not with us, Indy. I can see that. I think we should... What is it? What's wrong, Andy? He felt dizzy. The chamber blurred. He stumbled, reached out for Archie, but his arm seemed to go right through him. Archie faded. Maggie was no longer there. He was in the chamber alone. But now the light shifted. Instead of two flickering torches, he realized the chamber was lined with burning candles. The room felt warmer, stuffy, as if the candles were sucking the air into themselves, feeding the flames warming it at the same time. There was one gap in the circle of candles where the outline of a door was now visible. He moved towards it, pushed on it, but it didn't move. What happened? Was he in a different chamber? Archie, Maggie, can you hear me? Abruptly, the stone filling the doorway lifted, revealing only darkness. Indy stepped back, uncertain what to do. A moment later, a young woman, tall, attractive, blonde, walked through the doorway. She smiled at him, held out her hands, palms turned up, as if she expected him to reach for them. Who the hell are you? Where did you come from? She was gorgeous, well-proportioned, just his type. But he didn't trust anything in this chamber. She felt light-headed, uneasy. I'm here for you, Indy. Oh yeah, uh, what did you have in mind? She smiled alluringly, winked, and pointed to the floor behind him. He turned to see an array of cushions, pillows, bedding. It was all surrounded by another ring of softly burning candles. Where did that come from? This feels like a dream. The woman reached out, pinched his arm, then laughed when he cried out and rubbed it. Behind her, another woman, equally attractive, a dark-haired beauty, stepped into the chamber. Like the first woman, she wore a sheer white gown, and the outline of her body was visible in the candlelight. Indy, take me, she whispered. Take us both, the other woman said. Indy cleared his throat. 
I don't really know you, and uh, besides, I'm with a couple of friends uh, who must be around here somewhere. He detected movement in the doorway and groaned as another gorgeous woman stepped into view, another blonde, then a redhead followed, and both were garbed in the same gossamer gowns that accentuated their loveliness. And he groaned. He closed his eyes, rubbed his hands over his warm, moist forehead and cheeks, wondering if they'd all be gone when he looked again. But that wasn't the case. There were more and more. They continued filing through, and now the ones closest to him were stroking his arms and chest, whispering the same words over and over. Take me. Take me first. Take all of us. The room was now unbearably hot. Indy sweltered in the abundant show of affection. He couldn't see the doorway any longer. But the pressure of the bodies against him kept increasing. Hands stroked him, tugged at his clothes. The weight and density of the women forced him down to the cushions, and he knew they would suffocate him, that this was a death of his own making. Too much of a good thing could be as deadly as an assassin's bullet, a stab in the back, an arrow in the heart. He gasped for breath as the body swelled around him. He called out for help, and everyone wanted to help, and the pressure increased, and he was dying of affection. He was losing consciousness when a phrase came to mind, something he'd seen written above a doorway at the ruins of Delphi, everything in moderation. He gulped air, called on his remaining strength, squeezed his eyes shut, and shouted the phrase as loud as he could. Abruptly, the pressure seemed to ease, he said it again firmly, but with no sense of panic in his voice. Everything in moderation. Three simple words, but the effect was wondrous. The women moved away, giving him space. The chamber walls and floor rippled around him. A gap opened above him, and he felt as if he were being lifted upward. But then hands were shaking him, holding him down. Let me go. I told you everything in moderation. Indy. We're trying to help you, Archie said. Indy Blank looked around. The women and the candles were gone. Archie and Maggie were back. Or rather, he was back. I almost died. Unbelievable. Same with us, Maggie said. We all experienced something horrible. Mine was fire the way my parents died when I was only six. Mine was scorpions, Archie said. This room full of deadly scorpions. Very terrible. What was yours, Indy? Maggie asked. What did you say? Everything in moderation? Was that it? Oh, uh, it was horrible, awful, too much. He felt his face reddening. It, uh, it was very confusing. But too much of what, she asked. Too much of everything, he thought. He shook his head. I can't talk about it now. She touched his arm, her fingertips cool, where his skin still felt hot. She drew her nails lightly up his arm, teasing, promising. I see. It was bad, but you need to talk about it, Indy. This isn't the time or place to talk. Uh, I've got a clue about how to get out of here. He stood up, noticing the lack of cushions and the raw flickering light from the torches. He took one of them and approached the wall where the women had entered. He ran his fingertips over it, hunting for a crease, an indention, the hint of an escape hatch. Nothing. He shook his head. We're trapped in a trap. Fourteen, Kingston's Notes. He stared hopelessly at the smooth stone wall. No way out, trapped. 
He'd found the Jade Sphere, traveled into the depths of the Darien jungle, and defied death to enter a hidden pyramid. But now, Indy and his companions were cornered in a hex chamber. Ancient Mayan shamans somehow had imprinted devious mental fireworks here that were triggered by anyone who made it this far into the pyramid. After his experience, he might never look at another woman again. Well, at least, not more than one at a time. He pushed away the disconcerting thought of being suffocated by too much of a good thing and returned to the matter at hand. What was the point of the expedition if it ended here? If they all died, his accomplishments thus far would be meaningless. He would let down his companions himself and Kingston's legacy, the reason for the journey. There had to be a way out. He snapped his fingers as he realized he was overlooking the obvious. He spun around, Maggie, Archie, are you both still here with me? No mental confusion? Uh, no more than usual, Archie said. I just realized that in my confusion, I've forgotten about the most important matter at hand. Which is what, Maggie asked. Indy reached into his pack. The Jay's fear, of course. Maybe it can provide some answers. He pulled out the leather pouch and uncovered the sphere. Cupping in his hands, he moved to the center of the room. He wasn't sure what he should do with it. He just stood quietly, staring at it, willing it to cough up its secrets, reveal its magic. Say something, Archie suggested. Like what, hello? Or how about get us out of here? Let me try, Maggie said. You're not serious enough. I am serious. I want out of here. As Maggie moved toward him, the walls rippled like jello. The sphere suddenly took on weight, and he was barely able to hang on to it. He gasped for breath, crumbled to his knees. He folded his arms over the sphere, pulling it towards his belly. The air turned gelid and pale green, and he realized that the sphere now filled the chamber, and he was inside it. Yet he also cradled it in his arms. He peered out, but couldn't see Maggie or Archie. Then the doorway reappeared, opened, and from the darkness, Maggie appeared and approached him. Let me see, Indy. Let me see it. She held out her arms. Then another Maggie followed behind her. Then another and another. The scenario was repeating itself, this time one woman with numerous copies, all reaching for him, for the sphere. He struggled to hold on to it, then remembered how he had gotten rid of the women. He shouted the three-word aphorism, but this time nothing happened. It was Maggie and Maggie over and over again. In frustration, he yelled, get out, all of you, get out of this room and take us with you. Suddenly, all the Maggies were chanting, take us with you, take us with you, a nightmare. But Indy was determined. He stood up, still clutching the sphere and headed toward the doorway. The Maggie crowd, now silent, all moved aside. He stepped into the darkness. The sphere was no longer heavy. He smelled dank earth and as his eyes adjusted, he glimpsed a stairway. He turned back, and there was Maggie, just one of her, and Archie. You did it, Archie said. You got in. How did you do it? Maggie asked, a perplexed look on her face. With your help. All I did was ask to see the sphere. Yeah, over and over again. You wouldn't say anything, she replied. You just stared at the wall. Then you got up and went right over here. And there was the door. We go now, Archie asked. Yeah, we go. Indy turned and started up the narrow stairway. The temperature seemed to drop with each step. The torches 
flickered behind him, creating a giant shadow above him. After a dozen steps, the stairs ended in a wall. I can't go any farther. That is no good, said Archie. He brought up the rear. There is no doorway behind me. It's just not there. This time, Indy didn't hesitate. Holding the sphere in front of him, he walked toward the wall. Open, open, open. As he neared the wall, he saw the shadow of a doorway. Maybe it had been there all along, or maybe the sphere had opened it. It didn't matter. He walked right through the opening and into another darkened space. Seconds later, Maggie appeared with one of the torches and illuminated an enormous round chamber. She gasped. It's the astral chamber. The chamber was bowl-shaped with an assortment of Mayan statuary spaced throughout. A series of mysterious grooved rings circled the stone floor. It doesn't exactly look like a planetarium. It's not. Bellum said you have to get to the bottom of the astral chamber to reach the planetarium. She had a knack for gathering information, and he thought. There was something about her that suggested she was more than a renowned photographer, but it wasn't the time to pursue that matter. I hope he's right. That's where I want to go, but how do we get there? I wonder why those channels were carved in the floor, Archie asked. Oh, they were probably filled with water for ceremonies, and he stuffed the jade sphere back into his back. That's an educated guess. A deep rumbling seemed to start beneath them. Then it traveled in undulating waves, getting louder and louder, until the room seemed to vibrate. Another trap. The rumbling grew thunderous, a storm bearing down on them, and now I felt the floor quaking, heaving, like a giant in pain. With a kind of mounting horror, he realized they had stepped into an enormous trap. Huge boulders, weighing tons, now hurtled along the channels, picking up speed, and one rolled rapidly towards them. He grabbed Maggie's arm, yanked her out of the way. Another enormous boulder scraped the sleeve of his jacket, and he jumped back. Archie! Where are you? he shouted. Against the wall. I'm staying here, thank you. And he tugged on Maggie's hand. Come on, let's keep moving. They darted past another boulder, then another and another, as they made their way toward the bottom of the bowl-shaped chamber. He glanced at Maggie, grinned. It's not so hard. Watch out, she shouted. The next boulder clipped a tall stone Mayan statue that toppled forward crashing to the floor and missed them by a couple of feet. They lunged forward, working their way closer. Another statue crashed right in their path. They veered around it and finally reached the center of the bowl. The boulders disappeared one after another into a pit at the bottom of the bowl. Is it safe? Archie called out from the rim. Probably not, Indy answered, but we might find a way out. I am on my way. Wait for me. Maggie held up the torch and pointed down. She saw steps carved into the sloping base of the bowl that led into the hole at the center. As Archie joined them, Indy took the lead and descended the steep steps toward the, the black hole. It looked like a dead end, the resting place of a pile of boulders. And if one more rolled this way, they would be crushed and buried. At the thought of that possibility, he picked up the pace. But two steps later, his feet slipped out from under him, and he slid down a few steps before he caught himself. You okay, Maggie? Called out. Yeah, I just decided to walk on my butt for a while. He rubbed his backside as he stood up. It can't be much farther, she assured him. He hoped she was right. 
The steps spiraled down steeply into the depth, and all I could see in front of him was wall of darkness. The torches barely illuminated one or two steps. You would think a planetarium would be up the steps, not down, Archie said from the rear. You would think, Indy said. Suddenly the light wavered. Maggie shrieked, stumbled. He turned and caught her, held her, her face inches from his. He held her gaze. Gotcha. Thank you. The steps are slippery. Uh, can we keep going? Archie sounded uh, impatient. Yeah, sure. He reluctantly released Maggie and continued down the stairs. He moved faster now, anxious to get somewhere, and lost the torch lighting. Suddenly, there was no steps, and he was walking on a flat floor. Indy, I can't see you, Maggie shouted. I'm here, wherever this is. Don't move, just wait for us, Archie yelled. I'm waiting. Torchlight filtered down the stairway, throwing brighter. He sucked in his breath as he saw his boot hanging slightly over the edge of an abyss. He moved back a couple of steps and stayed put. When Maggie arrived, he took the torch from her. Watch your step. He bent down, picked up a loose stone, flipped it into the hole. A couple of seconds later, he heard a plunk as it struck water. It's a well, cenote. Perfect place for sacrifices and accidents, she added. He raised the torch for a better view of his surroundings. He found himself in a chamber with curving walls and a domed ceiling all covered with carvings. Did you say there's another way out? Archie asked, joining them. Another educated guess, but we've got business to attend to before we leave. With that, Indy walked around the well that was about six feet across toward the center of the chamber where the pedestal with a bowl-shaped top was perched. He took out the jade sphere and lowered it into the stone bowl, a perfect fit. Now what? Maggie asked. I don't know. Can't even guess. As he spoke, the sphere started to glow, the light gradually intensifying. Indy stepped back as the dome was illuminated and the strange writing turned luminous and green. Light emanated from the base of the pedestal and up through the jade sphere. He stepped up and snatched the sphere from the base. What are you doing? Maggie asked. Just trying to figure out how this works. Okay, it's getting light outside and there's a mirror at the base of the pedestal that's reflecting the morning light and shining up through the sphere. Archie took renewed interest. The light enters through a hole. You think it's big enough to crawl through? If you're a snake, maybe, Indy answered as he placed the sphere back on the pedestal. But how would that light illuminate the writing on the dome, Matt? Maggie asked. It looks like it's glowing. It's biological, actually, Indy said. There's a type of rainforest fungus that has bioluminescent properties. You can't see it in normal daylight, but when it's filtered through the jade's skull, it glows bright green. The spores of this fungus probably migrated through the hole from the outside, or the Mayans might have intentionally covered this, the dome with the pigment from the fungus, and it just kept growing. What does it have to do with Professor Kingston's notes, Archie asked. Good question. Indy adjusted the sphere, feeling the symbols etched into its surface as he turned it. He stopped when he reached an indention. The ball of his thumb fit perfectly into it as if it were a miniature bowling ball. 
He moved the indention to the top, and abruptly the dome shifted. The Mayan script vanished, replaced by a text in English. Look, this must be it, Charles Kingston's notes. As his eyes adjusted to the green letters, he began reading. Hello, my friends. You have activated the Jane Sphere, which is an astonishingly sophisticated mathematical computational system. When placed at the center of the Temple of the Cosmos, it is energized through a means that is beyond our comprehension. After years of study, I am convinced that the energy emanates from a power source in the Pleiades. This temple was placed in this godforsaken environment, distant from other Mayan sites, so that its knowledge could be preserved until a time when mankind could fully understand it. That time might not come about until my children's childrens come of, of age. But for that reason, I trust that you will maintain the secrecy that I have so carefully nurtured. When the time comes, this great planetarium and vast calendar will be revealed to the world in ways we don't comprehend at this time. The planetarium is not only keyed to the movement of planets, it's also meta a metaphysical map that records how spiritual time flows. Some might consider it an abomination to make use of a sacred calendar for the purpose of searching for an artifact of another culture. But the fact that I am able to pursue this purpose reveals that the Mayan perspective is not unique to its own culture, that it is geared to universal wisdom. Of course, we don't know what links between distant cultures might have existed in the ancient world. Certainly, if there were such links, they would involve the use of sacred artifacts that allowed the priests to move beyond the ordinary world into the extraordinary. With that introduction, you now can read my notes. Indy read the message twice, and as he finished for the second time, the dome shifted again and Kingston's notes on the Staff of Moses appeared. He quickly verified that Kingston was searching for the Staff of Moses. He took out a notebook and started jotting down everything he could read. Maggie, meanwhile, started photographing the dome. If I'm going to continue this search, it looks like I need to go to Istanbul, he told her. What do you mean, if? You've got to go after the staff. You can't let the Nazis get their hands on it. Her heartfelt enthusiasm surprised him. He sensed once again that she was more than an accidental companion along for the adventure and a few snapshots. But where did she place her royalties, he wondered. Maggie, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. She lowered her camera, set it in her bag, and looked around. Hey, where's Archie? And he scanned the planetarium. I don't know. What's over there, a door? She asked. And he took a few steps toward a dark, rectangular area. He heard voices. Archie, the one-eyed Chinaman stepped through the doorway. His hat was askew. I found the other way out, but he moved stiffly, and Indy quickly saw why. Hello again, Jonesy. Magnus Voler, gun in hand, pushed Archie forward. Several muscular brown shirt colleagues, armed and flush, as if fresh from a kill, followed the German archaeologist. Did you think you would lose me so easily? You and I stick together like thunder and lightning, Magnus. You rumble after I strike. Clever, Jones. But now I'm striking while the iron's hot. He looked as if 
He were about to fire the gun into the dome when he saw the writing. He stared in amazement, the weapon still pointing upward. Sorry, Magnus, I don't have time for your cliches or your master race theories. You're not going to find any hidden Aryan race here. So why don't you go home? I will go home, but only when I have the Staff of Moses in my possession. You won't find it here, not even close, Muller laughed. You don't fool me, Jones. I see the directions all over the ceiling. He pointed his revolver at Indy. Spare me the time and bother. Give me your notes. Then what, you let us go on our way? I don't think so. He hated what he had to do, but there was no choice. He needed to block Muller from copying Kingston's notes. With that, he snatched the jade sphere from the pedestal and smashed it against the stone floor. The pieces showered around him. He reached down, grabbed Maggie's camera bag, and jammed it into the pedestal bowl, blocking the light. As the room sank into darkness, Indy pulled Maggie and Archie to the floor, and they scrambled on hands and knees towards the door. Voller raged, shouting at him, firing his weapon. He heard one of the Nazis groan and drop to the floor. They had a way of shooting their own, Indy thought, as he found the doorway and steps. As soon as all three had climbed down, Archie slammed his fist into the protruding rock and a stone slab slid across the opening. Voller made a mistake, Archie said proudly, shaking his hand. He showed me how he, how he opened it. My camera, Maggie gasped. We, we've got to go back. It's got all the photos of the dome. Eddie took her arm. Leave it. I've got notes. We're okay. But it's my camera. You want to die for a camera? I don't think so. I'll buy you a new one, maybe. They scaled the stone stairs that led to a narrow opening in the pyramid wall. Corridors split split off on either side and Indy recognized it as the entrance Kingston had used. They climbed out into the morning light near the chief's throne. When Indy's eyes adjusted, he started to see bodies. Several ghost people lay dead in the open area near the pyramid. Maggie rushed over to a fallen warrior. It's Bellum. He's still alive. Indy joined her and he could see from the bullet wound that Bellum wouldn't survive for long. Maggie took his hand and leaned close to Bellum as Bellum spoke in a barely audible voice. He says they killed many warriors, but the chief and the great mother escaped. Bellum tugged on her arm and she listened again. He says a motor bird circled the pyramid after the slaughter and landed on the water when the sun rose. That's the pontoon plane, Archie said. Let's get it before the Nazis get out. Can't we help him, Maggie said. As she spoke, Bellum's head slumped to one side. He took one more ragged breath and died. Nothing we can do now, Indy said. They hurried into the forest, following a path, but it quickly divided. Bellum pointed in this direction, but I don't know which path goes to the river. I do. They turned to see the old woman, the great mother, emerge from the jungle, machete in hand. Flora, Indy said. Lost again? Uh, not yet, but give us a chance, Indy responded. Can you show us the way to the river, Maggie asked. You can escape with us. I live here, and I will stay here. You take the airplane away so the warriors can avenge the death of their brothers. Flora pointed to the trail leading to the right. When it breaks into two again, go left. That will take you to the river. She handed her machete to Indy, but first cut branches to hide your trail. Then do the same when you reach the next turn. With that, she was gone. 
Indy quickly trimmed the jungle branches and moved limbs across their path. Archie dragged a rotting log, and Maggie rearranged the branches so they looked like the surrounding growth. Looks good, Indy said, wiping the sap off his hands. Let's move on before Volra turns up. And he was about to head down the trail when a mushy purple fruit the size of a cantaloupe struck him on the shoulder. Then another splattered on Archie's boot. A family of howler monkeys shook their arms and bared their teeth. I don't think they approve of our work, Maggie said, wiping off Indy's shoulder with a kerchief. I don't approve of their behavior either. He licked his purple fingers. They're wasting good fruit. One of the monkeys let out a yelp, and they all scattered. Down. Indy hissed as he heard an exchange of German. Seconds later, Volra and his men barreled down the path. Volra hesitated a moment, as if sensing something was wrong, but continued on in the wrong direction. That was close, Maggie said, getting up. Run, Indy snapped, and the three fled down the trail, but Indy knew that Volra wouldn't be fooled for long. Twenty minutes later, out of breath, they reached the next split in the trail. I don't know if I can get another step, Archie said, exhausted, very much exhausted. Yeah, well, we're running for our lives, Indy answered as he hacked at the underbrush with the machete. Sit down and rest, Maggie said. Watch the trail for any sign of you-know-who. Indy and I will cover the trail. A few minutes later, they created another verdant barrier. Can you make it, Archie? He asked. I'm much better. I needed to rest. Let's go. When they finally arrived at the river, they followed the bank until they spotted the seaplane. The pilot had lashed the plane to a tree and was sitting on the bank fishing. Indy slashed at a thick vine hanging from a tree. He cut two pieces from it. Okay, both of you put your hands behind your backs. I'm going to tie you up. You're my prisoners. Sure, on one condition, Maggie said. What's that? He asked as he finished tying her hands and moving to Archie. I'm going to Istanbul with you. Interesting, he thought. I suppose that could be arranged. Indy finished by tying the two together with a long piece of vine around their waist. Yielding the machete, he led them toward the pilot. Hey, Kumpel, guten Morgen. The bearded pilot dropped his makeshift fishing pole and turned to Indy. I told you guys I don't speak your lingo, so stop trying it on me. He looked bleary-eyed, bored, but his expression shifted to suspicion when he saw Maggie and Archie. Hey, I don't remember nothing about transporting no chink or broad. Who the hell are they? Indy remembered Jacques mentioning the pilot's name. Air McNulty. I come with orders from Air Professor Vohr for you to fly these two prisoners and myself to Kana immediately, Indy said, using his best German accent. I wish you people would quit changing your minds, Voller. Told me to wait for him. New plan. We go now. Indy heard a branch crack. He shifted his gaze, spotted a tall, skinny man with a rifle. Sudao, the pillager they'd encountered. Hola, amigos, Sudao grinned. Encontramos otra vez. Yeah, nice to see you again, too, Indy said. Sudao jabbed the rifle at Indy. Dropped the machete. Indy did as he was told. His hand slipped to his belt as Sudeos shifted his attention to Maggie and Archie. Puzzled by the bindings around their wrists and waist, he stepped closer. Indy loosened his whip and lashed it around Sudeos' neck. The rifle fell from his hand. Indy snagged it and turned on the pillager. This man is an imposter, he told McDaldy. 
He's a guacero, not a Nazi. Yeah, but he paid me. That, that's Nazi enough for me. And I'm paying you too. But we've got to leave right now. McNulty scratched his beard, assessing the situation. Where's the money? Right here. And he said and reached into Archie's pack. He pulled out a stack of bills. The pilot's eyes widened. Let's go. The more Nazis, the merrier. Not so fast. Drop the rifles, Jones. Indy turned to see Bowler aiming his revolver. You again, he muttered. Sudeo snagged the rifle from Indy's hands. He tricked me with his whip, Sudeo said. Shut up. You're, incomp you're an incompetent fool. Bowler was flushed, dripping with sweat, out of breath. But he quickly recovered as two of his Gestapo agents caught up. He snapped his fingers at one of the agents, muttered under his breath in German. The agent stepped forward and shot Sudeo in the head. He was useless, Bowler said. You're a heartless killer, Maggie shouted. Bowler smiled. Ah, you'll make tasty bait for the Caymans in the river. Since you're all tied up so cleverly, I might just let you drown to save bullets. Let her go, Bowler. She's just a photographer. Not true, Jones. Not true at all. You've got your camera bag. Take a look. Miss Maggie O'Malley is an agent for British Intelligence, Section D, I believe. Never heard of it, Indy said. They conduct covert political actions and paramilitary operations, he bowed to Maggie. Good work, Miss O'Malley, but unfortunately for you, there's a double agent in your section. He raised his revolver to Indy's head. Enough talk. I've been waiting a long time for this moment, Jones. Your colleagues and students will never know what happened to you. One of the Gestapo agents gasped, fell forward, an arrow protruding from his back. Two more arrows struck the other agent, who stumbled and fell. Indy knocked Bowler's arm away, tackled him, and they splashed into the river, sank, surfaced, still locked together. When they surfaced again, Indy grabbed Bowler by the collar and belted him in the jaw. Bowler fell back, then slammed a boot into Indy's chest, shoving him away. Indy surfaced, looked around for Bowler, expecting him to surge out of the water at any moment. He struggled against the current to maintain his balance. As he waited, Volar never resurfaced. Unsure, several warriors, their bodies painted white, stood over the dead agents. Flora, the great mother, looked on. Thanks, Indy called out. We needed a little help. Flora motioned with a hand for them to leave. Now go before the arrows come flying at you. Indy quickly freed Maggie and Archie from the vines with a couple slashes of his knife. They scrambled aboard the plane as McMulvey untied it and started the engine. I don't know what any of this was about. I don't want to know, McMulvey shouted above the engine. They taxied down the river, lifted off, then circled around. Indy sitting in the back seat with Maggie waved at Flora and the ghost people. As they followed the river just above the treetops, the pilot peered down, dipping his wing. Indy pressed his forehead against the window as he spotted a crumpled figure climbing out of the water. I guess we won't be seeing any more of Dr. Voller, Archie called out above the roar of the engine. Uh, at least not today, and he shouted back. He turned to Maggie, leaned toward her ear. Is it true what he said about you? She hesitated before answering. I'm sorry, I couldn't tell you. Will you still take me to Istanbul? I'll consider it. After a few moments, he leaned closer. Since you're not working for the Nazis, I suppose I could use some company. Archie looked back caught their attention, then yelled, Do you think this plane could fly to San Francisco? You paid him enough. He might just do it.
thanks for joining the mystical underground visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher google podcast or your favorite podcast app listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.